Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, April 27th, 2016, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy day after Alien Day. And on the line with Ms. Mara Wood. Hello. And Mr. Joey Pacino. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. So I'm here. Steve left. We're just playing a little musical chairs. Yeah, what is going on? As, as, as it goes along. So we're, uh, yeah, we're here to bring you another uh, Talking comics podcast we have once again continuing our disturbing trend we have a lot of comic books to talk about this week again um and barely any any other any movie or tv to talk about at all so it's uh i don't know what's going on i feel like we brought mara and joey on and everything's just it's everything's going down the toilet i think (laughs) uh not in my opinion because i'd rather talk about comics than terrible things in the media it's true it's true or or have to talk about any actor or actress in any movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, still there, terrible there is, at that. Yeah. Huh. There was that latest rumor with Nathan Fillion. It's true. With, uh, yeah. It is true. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's true. There is that rumor. I, I'm get, the, From those pictures, it looks like it's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, you might be playing uh, Simon Williams, a.k.a. Wonder, Wonder Man. Man. In, in, uh, in posters in Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not sure if Nathan Fillion will actually be physically in Guardians of the Galaxy, because I'm not sure how huh. those movie posters factor in to where wherever Star-Lord is at the moment, but um, Bob, you're actually having some interesting it's facts about uh, Wonder Man. Sure, Wonder Man goes all the way back to Avengers number nine, mm. and he was created by Baron Zemo, who, just looking for a way to revenge himself on the Avengers, having beaten him a few issues before, finds... Disgraced industrialist Simon Williams has been bankrupted by Tony Stark, and he's got his own set of anger issues. <laughs> Gives him superpowers so he can infiltrate the Avengers and then destroy them from the inside. <gasps> but then Simon has a change of heart when he sees, you know, the Avengers are really good people. Yeah, of course. And Zemo doesn't like that and shoots him with some fancy ray gun at the end and kills him he actually dies in spoiler alert for a 50 something year old issue he dies in the first (laughs) issue he appears in you know dies in the arms of thor and it's oh no and then he didn't come back for a very very long time except his brain patterns are the basis of what's inside the vision's head oh so interesting yeah so there was a the whole thing Simon had a brother who becomes a supervillain. It's comics, right? Mm-hmm. The Grim Reaper <laughs> walks around with this giant skull and crossbones on his chest and a giant Sith, which isn't really good in a fight, but he managed to hold his own here and there. And he's always trying to get the Vision's brain d- disassembled from his body so he can put his brother back. But his brother comes back, and he's stronger than ever because he's made of ionic energy, whatever that is. 
That's a comic book thing. Yeah. <laughs> throw energy and raise science. your... Yeah, science. science. We'll do whip some science on him. Yeah, pure science in, in there. He is in the Avengers for years. He and the Beast become real hanging out buddies. There's stuff with Wanda, where they're all hot and heavy for a bit. There's, so he's he's basically in competition with his own brain in the Vision's body, which is kind of a weird triangle. It's sort of the Clark Superman Lois thing in, in some weird way. And eventually turns into an actor playing really... It, really terrible action movies. And they're actually, mm. in some of the posters they're showing him, Archon, who's in the uh, Weird World stories from mm-hmm. The Secret Wars, yeah, Simon plays him for a while. Mm. I, think there, I think there are six Archon movies or something, if I'm trying to remember <laughs> way back. Uh, great character. The way he's always portrayed, you, you can see Nathan Fillion playing him. Mm. A little bit of a wry smile, not taking himself too seriously. I, I, I have the funny feeling that we're going to see posters from Star-Lord's childhood. You know, it's going to be a flashback to those or whatever. But once he's out there in that character, I think we're going to see him for real. <laughs> he's finally going to get to play a superhero that isn't, well, he's in the Wonder Woman movie as Steve Trevor. That almost counts as being in a superhero movie. <laughs> or, but, almost, almost. Yeah. Well, it's not live action. There's so many actors are in these other ones, so we'll go for it. So I'm very happy to hear that. We're getting deep into Marvel history now. Yeah, we yeah we definitely are getting very very deep in that point. That's cool. It's a cool thing. I mean, they they said when he did like his little voice cameo in the first one that they wanted to keep it so very kind of off to the side and and very non impactful because mm-hmm. they didn't want to take away the chance for him to play somebody else in the mm-hmm. the the larger universe. So maybe this this is this is what they had in mind all along. Who knows? Who knows? But it's a cool little bit of. Uh, a little bit of movie news there. Yeah. Joe, you, you, you took us right off the rails. We were all going to be all about comic books, and you had to bring up a movie thing. Hey, man. That's what I do. <laughs> you just, you're just making it happen, man. You're, just, you're always, you're always <laughs> undercutting expectations at, at every turn. At every turn. <laughs> the human enigma. Um, or it's just all an elaborate ruse, and they're just you know playing with us. It's true. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're uh, yeah. It is James Gunn, after yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe they are, but we'll we'll have to see. But that's still a, uh, a year or so away, I believe. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, we do have Captain America in just two weeks now. Oof. We're we're getting there. Oh my god! Fuck <laughs> <laughs> so, it. So, so we are almost there. We are almost in prime time. Let's talk about a movie uh, time, which will be every couple of months for forever, because we're doing a comic book podcast, and every couple of months there is a movie mm. the, that that comes out. Um, so yeah, uh, but let's let's get into talking about some comics. I think we have a lot of books to talk about this week. Um, I even have some books that are coming out on shelves today to speak about, which time is travel. time travel. So these are going to be new <laughs> books that you can actually pick up on the way to the comic book shop. Uh, one of which most of you probably are, are already picking up and the other one, I don't know if it's, it's on many people's um, radar, but we'll, we'll get to that stuff a little bit, a, a little bit later. Let's start out with our lightning round. Joey, I'm going to throw you right into the fire. All right. Okay. You ready? Yeah. You have three minutes and go. Okay, so the first book I want to talk about is all-new Hawkeye number six from Jeff Lemire, Ramon Perez, Joe Sabino on letters. Um, surprise, this was the final issue of their run. Uh, I did not know that. So when I got to the end of the book and it was like, here's my letter of thanks and bye from uh, everybody, I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, but the run has been great. It's about six issues. 
issues uh, here into the post-Secret Wars relaunch. Uh, the team did five issues before Secret Wars. Uh, so this 11-issue run was all too brief. Um, I've been really, really digging this team's take on Kate and Clint as they focus in on their respective pasts through these really gorgeous flashbacks all the way throughout the issue, while, uh, whereas in the present they're dealing with Hydra and this kind of secret weapon and everything. I don't really want to get into too much of the plot. Um, the big standout, I think, is Ramon Perez's work. It's been absolutely dazzling throughout. The final issue here tells the classic uh, Hawkeye story, the kind of I'm just a guy with a bow and arrow surrounded by gods and superheroes. But it's told through the eyes of a young Kate Bishop, kind of experiencing the Avengers for the first time, which was really, really awesome to see. Um, the Hawkeye mythos has always been about kind of being better without the benefit of, of superpowers and, and suits and all of that. Uh, and to see both Kate and Clint overcome and become their best over the last 11 issues. Uh, and the 22 of, of Fraction and David Aha's run too has been really, really amazing. I really enjoy the characters and I hope they have big plans for them going forward. Um, so that was all new Hawkeye number six. Uh, the other two books I want to talk about, I kind of picked up two, um, I guess horror thriller comics this past week, department H number one from dark horse, uh, which is by Matt Kent with colors by Charlene Kent and uh, black eyed kids. Number one from aftershock comics by Joe Pruitt and Simon Kudransky. Um, both kind of a little bit more horror thriller ambiance than, than narrative for this first issue on, on both sides. Uh, department H is kind of a murder mystery under the sea. Our main protagonist character, uh, Mia has to go down to this underwater base to find out who or what happened to her father. She suspects murder and she's kind of stuck underwater with her, with uh, the potential killer. Um, and over on black eyed kids, it's kind of a classic horror trope. Somebody knocks on the door, you open it. It's a bunch of kids. What do you do? But then what do you do when those kids have eyeballs that are all black and there's something possessing them? Um, like I said, both issues, I think, for first issues, didn't really hook me in terms of narrative and story. I didn't really have much to go with, but both really delivered in terms of the ambiance and the mood. Um, Black Eyed Kids in particular, Aftershock put it out for $1.99, which was great because even though it was kind of light on story – at that price point to kind of introduce me to the feel of this book kind of has me interested in, in number two department H I feel like might read better collected. I don't know. Um, I'll have to pick up the next issue and see how much time do I have? You're out of time, Joey. <laughs> oh, but close. Really close. Really, really <laughs> I think Joey close. had more to I talk about. The thing. I know. Well, I stopped it because you were right in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. I would have, I would have stopped oh, you. If, I didn't hear it. Yeah. If, uh, how much so did high. I go over? You went over, over like 20 seconds. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I, I forgive you. <laughs> I, for, I give you for your, for your transgression, Joey. It's all right. Um, so yeah, uh, that was a lot of books, Joey. Why don't, you, why don't you go through the names really quick so people at home, if they, if they missed any of them. Uh, all new Hawkeye number six, which was the end of the Lemire Perez run. Uh, Department H number one from Dark Horse and Black Eyed Kids number one from Aftershock Comics. Very cool. Yeah, that's weird that that's the last issue of yeah. it was I Yeah, there was like no warning. I mean I with the Hawkeye with the Lemire stuff, it's always been like to be concluded. And I was like, Oh, it's just the end of the arc or whatever. <laughs> but then there was at the end of the issue it was like an editor's note. It was like, That's it, bye. I was like, Oh, no. 
great. <laughs> is it continuing? So, Are uh, we moving? I think we're probably a new team. I would assume yeah. that the Hawkeye book isn't going away. I would assume. Well, the of... room. I think the rumors are like something's going down in Civil War Two with uh, these guys. So okay. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's great. There are lots <laughs> of rumors on three different sites, old scoreboards of who's gonna die. Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I don't want to read that. Oh yeah, it says from from the editor. Uh, if you want to get an idea of what's in store for our favorite archers, keep an eye out for this summer's Civil uh, War Two. <laughs> Till then. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they know we're gonna read it too. That's the sad <laughs> yeah. part. I'm not gonna read it, Mara. I'm not gonna read it. It's. I yeah. probably will. I, I, I've made I a. Probably will too. I've made a. I've made a mental stand <laughs> that no one else cares about but me. But in my head, <laughs> I've made a stand that I'm not going to be uh, buying Civil War Two. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I like <laughs> oh. that. <laughs> Um, swing around the, if the those counter co- if those copies end up uh, uh, in my lap i will i will i will read them but i am not spending the four hundred dollars it's gonna take <laughs> to buy civil war ii and all its tie-ins <laughs> i think they're already soliciting the box set right yeah yeah, yeah. this is the civil war ii oh 450 dollar hardcover yeah. of box set um no that'll come out in 10 years because they took it not long to put the civil war thing out yeah. that giant one they just put out uh but yeah so all right, that was a, that was a pretty packed lightning round, Joey. But uh, uh, yeah, those aftershock books sound cool, though. Uh, they've been doing some cool stuff. Yeah, man, it's been a good year for them so far. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, Bob, are you ready? Sure. You've got three minutes and go. Captain Marvel Four was, as the first three, a competently done space adventure. But here's the thing: if this was a book called Alpha Flight with Agent Abigail Brand, well, two things actually. I probably wouldn't have started in the first place. And I wouldn't be as disappointed in it as I am from this title's new direction. Carol's become one of my favorite characters, and it was due to her courage in the face of adversity, her compassion and humanity showed through interactions with a supporting cast. Now, while uh, writers Fazekas and Butters work on TV's Asian Carter is filled with these things, to me, they're sadly absent here. Um, I've pre-ordered through number six, so I, I'm stuck. But after that, uh, Axel Alonso just announced that Christos Gage and Ruth Fletcher Gage will be taking over as writers, so I'm trying to be hopeful. So let's see what happens moving to there. So now some very quick hitters will follow, as I've kvetched far too long about one title is giving me Sora. So Red Sonia number four finds Sonia fighting for her life against the legions of the Hykernian king, and those legions have all been crafted to look and act as she does. Marguerite Bennett and Art by Anique, and it's just absolutely a gorgeous book and really picked up very nicely from where Gail Simone was. Silk number seven is the third part of the very enjoyable Spider-Women crossover with the focus here on Cindy Moon, who discovers the Earth-65 version of her missing family from back home, as well as some terrible but fun to read about secrets about her own self. Mm. Another fun crossover comes in with Howard the Duck number six, which includes the story begun in Squirrel Girl number... Howard the Duck. Did I say Howard the Girl? Howard the Duck number six. Uh, Squirrel Girl (laughs) six. As Doreen Howard, Rocket Raccoon, The Beast, Craven, Weapon 2, The Wolver Squirrel and Biggs the anthropomorphic cyber kill cat take on cosplaying billionaire huntress Shannon Sugarbater. And if that description doesn't get you to buy this book, well, you're dead to me. That's it. I'm sorry. Shaft Imitation of Life number three connects all of the various threads from the first two issues. Shows us a John Shaft who's still looking out for himself, but is actually softening. There's some humanity coming to John Shaft. Now, if you read Joey's review roundup, which you should... You know that I also enjoyed Switch Number 3 and Clean Room Number 7 by Gail Simone, 
and John Davis Hunt, which tells the story of their backstory. In both cases, clean room about Astrid Mueller and switch about Mary, the new holder of the Witchblade. I'm done. And Bob. You had 35 seconds. <laughs> hey, man. Just pull it over. Throw it over here. Throw it over here. All right, Joey, you, you have 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> I'm just going to be, I don't have nothing to say. We're just trying to balance the sheets here. Uh, all right. Well, um, yeah, Switch was really good. It, it's been a really long time since that last issue came yes. out. And he, and he has that really kind the of great cartoon. The great cartoon in the back with all like those knives and machetes and stuff in his back. Um, which obviously goes, it illustrates his very real pain that he's been mm -hmm. feeling. Um, so it's been a long time, so it took me a little bit to get back, not into like what was going on in the story, because there hasn't been a ton of sort of progression as far as the three issues go. It's been very much centered on these kind of big battles mm -hmm. and her interfacing with the the other members of the Witchblade, but the other the past bearers of the Witchblade. Mm -hmm. But it was it took me a while to just get back into like the character and what. What you know, it what was, the relationships yep. were, and all that kind of stuff. I was, you know, I, I know the darkness was part of it, but I didn't remember that it was that the the, the, the kid, and you know, it was a lot of stuff like that. Um, but it's still great. I'm 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 really enjoying it, and hopefully, like you said, he, he hopes to be caught up by issue five, mm -hmm. so be back on track. So uh, hopefully, we won't get any more delays like, like mm -hmm. we had on this one because it's been a couple of months, right? At least three. Yeah, at least yeah. three months, right? Yeah, yeah. So much fun. Yeah. Did you read it, Mara? Yeah. I did. And I'm not even a Witchblade fan, so this is my only exposure to the Witchblade universe. Mm. Me too. So if, if listeners have been like, uh, I don't like Witchblade or I don't know what it's about, don't, doesn't matter. It's still, it's still a great comic. Uh, you get that exposure pretty early and you understand what's going on. And whatever you don't understand, you'll, you know, I have faith that it'll be explained later. Yeah. Well, you get a lovely bit of exposition here as you see all the various previous holders explaining who they are sort of without it seeming like an information dump too which is nice just really well laid mm -hmm. out which cover did you get by the way um i am review copying and trade waiting oh okay make sure you if you you get the i would hope the trade has all the variant covers because there's one that's just covered in old-fashioned word balloons mm. of all the various <laughs> which blade oh folks. were they all talking yeah it's just I saw that picture. It's just charming because Mary's in the middle with this face, like, "Oh God, people go away." <laughs> She's a teenager. She's definitely a teenager. <laughs> there, that had to be thirty-five seconds. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Good. Well, I stopped the timer. <laughs> oh, was, I'm sorry. It's all right. No, it's all right because I started talking. I was going to penalize you for my for me flapping my gums. Uh, all right, Mara, you ready? Yes. You have three minutes and go. So I want to open up with some manga instead of saving it for the end. Uh, the first volume I want to talk about is My Love Story, Volume 8, by Kazune Kawahara and Aruko. And this is a, is a story about this really unconventionally attractive guy. He's huge, he's massive, he's scary, who is in love with this very petite, pretty girl. And they have like this amazing relationship with, between the two of them, but... You know, they're both very innocent in this romance, et cetera, et cetera. It's great. It's fantastic. And in volume eight, Takio, the boy, finally meets Yamato's parents. And it's so adorable because he is not what they expected for their cute, petite little daughter. And it's just hilarity ensues. And um, so this is kind of one of those like shoujo stories that's not too heavy handed or anything like that. Library Wars, volume 15. 
And this one is by Kiro Yumi, and the it's based on a novel series by Hiro Arikawa. And this is the final volume in this series. And li Library Wars is really difficult to understand, and I don't want to spoil too much of it since it's the final volume. But it's about the censorship of media and how libraries are militarized to protect that media for the general public. Wow. So large libraries collect all types of material and have it available for the public. And there's like militarized groups who try to censor or destroy the material. So the library's like, it's like a really weird military base, but it's so much fun. So that series is finished now. So it's a great time to go back to the beginning and read all 15 volumes. Um, real quick, Obi-Wan and Anakin number four by Charles Soule and Marco Cicciato. We got to hit the Star Wars real quick. Um, and this, you know, I'm not really hooked on the story so much for this series, but the best thing about it is that we're seeing Palpatine start to get his hooks into Anakin when he's like thinking about leaving the, the order and kind of questioning his role in the Jedi as the savior, the chosen one, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're interested in how their relationship develops over time, I would check out this series and kind of just, you know, skip the current storyline going on. And then the Lazarus source book, which I know we have some Lazarus fans yes. here on the podcast <laughs> and, and at home listening. Um, so this source book was put together by Greg Rucka, David Brothers, Robert McKenzie, David J. Walker, Eric Trotman, Michael Lark, and Owen Freeman. And I just want to say that when I was editing over at Nerdspan, Robert McKenzie and David Walker were two of my writers. Oh, wow. So it's really, yeah, it's really cool to see how they started writing about Lazarus on that site and providing these in-depth analyses, panel by panel of each issue. Rucka loved it. And now they worked on the source book. Wow. So it's like, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so proud of you. Mm -hmm. uh, so the source book is presented in a comic format. It's like 30 something pages, almost done. Um, <laughs> 30 something pages of just information on the Carlisle family. So it goes into the territory that the Carlisles occupy, commerce and crime, how the lift works, like how people are chosen for the lift, how media is, is spread out throughout the um, territories, security and military tech. So it's it's built to be an RPG source book. So if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you play Age of the Empire, Pathfinder, whatever, you know that the source book is just like an info dump of anything in the world. So I think that was the original intention for it to, you know, get that background information, but also give readers an uh, opportunity to make a skin for their game. So you take the D&D mechanic, reskin it to be future tech with the Carlisles as um, the family you're playing within. But I can also see it as a fan fiction source book. So if you're really into that story and you want to write more about maybe the waste or living in Carlisle territory and things like that, this would be a really good um, resource for that. That's really cool. I, now, Mara, did you buy it physically or did you get it digitally? Um, I'm waiting on my physical copy to come in. I My comic book store is like three hours away from me. So um, my guy ships it usually Tuesday or Wednesday. And this week I just have not gotten it yet. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> so wondering. I'm waiting on my physical copy. I'm just wondering. Have you seen a physical copy? I'm just wondering how, how thick it is, how beefy it is. I guess I... I have this weird thing where I'm only I'm only buying Lazarus in the trades, and so I don't know if it's going to if it's meaty enough to put on a bookshelf or is it like an issue size? I don't know. Uh, do you have you seen the physical version of it? 
at all? I have not yet, but okay. I know I know when I get it, I'm probably going to slip it into a comic bag and put it next to my D&D manuals. Okay. Because ah. to me, it makes more sense there all right. than it does in my long box. Gotcha. Interesting. Mm. I'm fascinated by library wars. I've always felt that librarians had something else going on. <laughs> when they were shushing me in the old days, they're 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 really heavy hitters. They just don't, you know. It's a great name. It. Yeah. It's a really great name for something. I'll well, say that. It's like I pick up the first volume of it and there's like these people with guns and they're smiling and it's like romance stuff. I'm like, what is this? And I start reading yeah. it and it's like, oh my gosh, they are like security forces within a library protecting the rights of the readers. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, we're gonna cool. have to do a. You're gonna have to assign us a, a volume of a manga, Mara, and we all are gonna have to read it and then talk about it. Maybe, maybe I have revived my manga Monday. I saw column. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I started. I started with a, a silent voice. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking Library Wars might be my next topic because of the censorship issue in it. Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you, you're fulfilling your promise of a hundred percent more manga. Yes. <laughs> promise. promise. Got to get the people what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So three minutes for me and here I go. So I read uh, moon Knight number one from a couple weeks ago, Jeff Lemire, Greg Smallwood and Jordi Belair, uh, really loved it. Um, you know, it, it shares, uh, some DNA with, uh, the Ellis Shelby, um, run, but it's a little bit more, it's still weird and sort of this guy has multiple personalities and is he crazy or, or, you know, and this one deals is it's actually Moon Knight is sort of like the idea of this guy. He's in a mental institution. He's, they're telling, they're trying to convince him that he's not actually Moon Knight, but you're not sure yourself if he's actually a mental institution or it's just in his head. You're not really sure. Even with all that stuff, it's, it's a little bit more, um, on the level than the Warren Ellis stuff. So it's, it's a little bit easier to understand, even though there's a lot of stuff going on and the art is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I, I've been, I've taken to taking screen caps of the books uh, of like moments and books that I love. And I had two or three in this. that were just like these gorgeous, gorgeous pages. So looking forward to that. I don't know what Greg Smallwood has done before this. Um, but this stuff in Moon Knight is, is really, really great. Um, what else do I got here? Let's say, Oh, I, re I read a really quick. I know we talked about it. Uh, I think Mara talked about it last week, the C-3PO, uh, one shot, yes. James Robinson and Tony Harris, uh, Joe, uh, Carmanga on letters on letters. Um, it was awesome. You know, not a book that I'd expect to really even read or, or, or get into, but, uh, really interesting take on this character. And like the, uh, Martha, that's too, I think the idea of good and bad and programming and, and what happens when a droid mind gets wiped, dealing some very big, you know, you know, sci-fi concepts that you don't usually see sort of associated with C-3PO. Uh, really, really great read. Definitely recommend it. Um, I read uh, Divinity number two, which uh, Divinity two number one, which is uh, Matt Kent, uh, Trevor Hairsign with uh, Ryan Wynn on inks and David uh, David Barone on colors. Uh, this is a second miniseries in the uh, Divinity line. Uh, the, the first one dealt with uh, Abrams, who was someone who kind of abandoned the mission. He he was a sent up, the, the the idea behind divinity is they send they send cosmonauts way out into space try to kind of find a secret weapon to defeat you know American uh, American capitalism and they sort of do but Abrams the, the character from the first one comes back because he has someone he loves that he left on Earth and it's against it's against the program but he wants to come back and eventually he's able to overcome sort of uh, over you know his sort of imperialist leanings because of of these feelings. This deals with a character who doesn't have any of those attachments, and so and now she's back and she's angry that Abrams left them on this planet to oh. die, and she wants all she wants to do is spread 
communism throughout throughout the world. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, take. Uh, really, really good. And I read through uh, volume two of Giant Days. Uh, John Allison, Lisa, Days. Lisa Germain, and Max Saren. Uh, just as charming and wonderful as, as the first volume. There's an entire issue where one of our characters has been watching Friday Night Lights and acts like oh, so good. two of the characters <laughs> from that show. Uh, and it's just, it's just hilarious and wonderful. And... Uh, it looks great. It's so well written. It's so smart. Uh, it's it's a great slice of life's book, but it's also just a really entertaining read all the way through. It's got just enough absurdity and ridiculousness to make it, um, you know, a little bit of a heightened reality. And I, I really love all, all three of our, our main characters um, so much. And, and I, I also like the kind of side satellite characters. Um, and, and I'm just really loving it. And, and I, I'm really loving reading it the way I've been reading it, which I've read both volumes in trade, and it's been a really great way for, for me to read them. But it's a huge recommendation from me. Every Everybody should should be reading Giant Days. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And I want to say that we talk a lot about how a lot of stories, especially indie stories, are best read in volumes mm -hmm. because of the way the story arc flows. I really like reading Giant Days issue to issue because mm -hmm. I like getting that little shot of happiness each month. Oh. <laughs> And then when the volume comes out, reading the whole volume. So the volume's loaded on my iPad, ready to go. But, you know, it's kind of like, all right, new issue of Giant Days. I don't have to remember these convoluted stories. I can just sit back and enjoy something and, and you know, leave the comic smiling. And I wonder for me now that I, I, I'm very invested in the book, if month to month will work for me. When it first started, I was like, I read the first issue. I was like, this is really good, but I know myself. And this type of story usually can't keep me month to month. It has to be something I, I sort of power through. But now with my investment in the characters, that might be a different story because it's not like, it isn't like it's, you have to remember every detail from the last issue. A lot of them are, you know, they're dealing with sort of overall character arcs, but they're kind of self-contained in the, in the way that they, that they move along. But yeah, Joey, I know you were also reading it, correct? Oh, uh, the, and the other thing I want to add is like, the book is legitimately genuinely funny the puns yeah. and the jokes and the and just some of the illustrations even just their reactions are so good i i actually laugh out loud reading this book so mm -hmm. you know reading it month to month that's it like mara said it's a little jolt of happiness a little jolt of joy every month um and i think those j jokes and those ideas and that humor sustains it um yeah i really love it it's really really one of my favorite favorite books yeah it's it's it's, it's a wonderful read um and I think it's mentioned Cry Havoc I read as well, which is another another great issue of, of, of that series. But yeah, that's it. it was, I read a lot of good stuff. A lot, a lot of good stuff this week. Um, so before we sort of uh, decide where we're going to go next, we're going to talk about our, our picks, our more in-depth books we want to we speak about, or do we want to get the sort of news out of the way and then close out with, with comic talk? What do you think, Bob? Hmm. I Let's close with comic talk. Okay. I, we'll close on a... On a sunnier note. On a sunnier note. So, um, you know, th th uh, something happened last week. Shelley Bond, who was a, a senior editor at Vertigo, was let go by DC. Um, and, you know, again, there are lots of reasons for this ha to have happened. Uh, Vertigo is flailing right now, having a lot of trouble. And from several of the stories I read, you know, just, she was very expensive and the, the imprint was failing, so they, they got mm -hmm. rid of her. But, how however, that brought up something else that has been, I think, uh, boiling under the surface and uh, above the surface in, in any points, but hasn't gotten a lot of attention, which is um, Superman, uh, formal, Superman group editor, uh, Eddie Bergaza, uh, who is a accused and 
um, punished uh, mm -hmm. sexual harasser. Uh, he's got he had to go through a whole regiment of uh, Warner Brothers PR, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, human resources classes to to keep his job in in the first place. But a known harasser um, still on the staff, and so there was uh, even though the two stories are you know fact by fact unrelated, um, the idea that. You know, the last really high-ranking uh, woman at DC is now gone, and this guy gets to keep his job even though he is sort of, um, he is perpetrating the, the sickness that's been going on in the industry for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a, a bunch of people come out on Twitter as, as well. I know Janelle Aslan talked about this on, on her Twitter as well. Uh, she's one of the people who reported him in 2010. Uh, this all stems out of uh, his, his, his kind of, Rehabilitation in, in quotes comes out of uh, an incident at WonderCon in 2011, where he sexually assaulted someone in uh, in the lobby of a, of, of a hotel. Um, he was banned from cons. He was demoted, but he got to keep his job. Um, and, and there's been a lot of talk now of a lot of people coming out and saying, you know, it happened to me. I reported him, but I didn't take it wider because I was worried about not getting a job anywhere else in the industry. Um, so, I, you know, it's something that, you know, when these issues come up, I think it's important for them to be talked about. Um, you know, obviously what we're going to be talking about is we, we only have stories to go off of and our opinions, I think, on the general state of the industry. Um, I've never met the man ever in my life. I've never met Shelley Bond ever in my mm -hmm. life. So I, I, I can't speak to any of their personalities, but all we, all we can speak to is what, what has been reported about the offender and, and, and what is happening. So, um, Bob, tell me kind of what your reaction was to, to all of this. Well, certainly Vertigo is not selling the way mm -hmm. it once did when it was the leader in the industry for creator-owned oddball properties, and whether that was Sandman, if we go back, mm -hmm. or Starman, under that uh, imprint for a while, certainly Fables. We went through lots of interesting work coming from there. Uh, it was Karen Berger back in the day, mm -hmm. also gone. Uh, Shelley Bond's problem is more that, well, image is vertigo. Mm. And that took up some of those numbers. But my understanding is the vertigo books on the whole are selling sort of where they were before in terms of an overall thing. Maybe there isn't a giant breakout hit. Sandman certainly did when it came out mm, sporadically yeah. yes. as, as it came out yeah. recently. But as with, if we go back a couple of years, if you remember, Gail Simone was fired briefly from Batgirl by email. Mm. In this case, Ms. Bond made the move to California, which could not have been cheap, and discovers two months later she's without a job and it's all going to go to corporate higher-ups and whatever, and even if the stories aren't related, and it's not a quid pro quo, there is this, how does that guy still have a job considering everything else that's come before? And the stories that are circulating now through the industry from people within and without that there's unwritten rules that women weren't working in the Superman office. Yeah. That one very high profile creator whose name I will mention, though it might turn up here somewhere if I get aggravated enough. Uh, refused hmm. refused to do a new project for them unless this fellow was not editing it because he was afraid that one of his artists, a young woman, would have a problem reporting to someone like this. Again, we haven't met this man. We're not there at these stories. We're going on what we read here from people who do seem to know. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to say that. We're, we're a generation removed from this story, but from people who were there. Yeah, I, be I believe the people who were there. I yeah. just want to make sure that people don't think that we're talking from personal, personal experience. experience. Absolutely. 
So you start to say Katie Kubert had left to go to Marvel. Mm -hmm. We had all these announcements of new books and how many female creators of, of real substantive careers were either bailed, not asked, or whatever. And you know how many of these things are related? There's no way to know that. It may be years until we find out. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it's just another dark stain on this industry. When we're, they're finally trying to dig out of all this, and that's what that's what hurts, I think, more than anything else. There does seem to be little steps of progress, and then there's a giant leap backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Mar, have you been following this, this story at all? Well, this is one where you kind of like, you know, you click on an article on Twitter and you read through it, and then you click on another one, it's the same kind of story, but it's just so depressing. Like, there's nothing. I mean, it's, I'm glad that people are coming out and saying stuff, um, but you know, like deep down, you know, nothing's going to change. Mm. And that's, that's where it's sad. I mean, yes, it's public. Yes. It's outed. Yes. He was reprimanded, but he's, is he really punished? Mm. Has he, has he really, you know, do you think he feels any guilt over what he's done? Um, and I was just trying to find, I know I tweeted this not too long ago and I was looking through my Twitter real quick, but um, I mean, Bobby, you had said that, you know, with the new rebirth, how many female creators did DC lose? You know, as we you know, everything's not announced yet, whatever. But like when you look there and you don't see any Wu's name anywhere mm -hmm. or Babs Tar or um, Marguerite Bennett, who was, you know, doing DC bombshells. It's like, does DC have a problem keeping their female creators? Mm -hmm. And it just stings even more to know that Shelley Bond is gone. I mean, there's a difference between firing someone because an imprint's not doing too well and finding another place for her at the company. Amen. Which, I mean, I mean, you would think that if someone with, you know, what, how many years experience does she have? Like 20? More than 20, yeah. yes. Yeah. More, more than 20. If someone with that much experience with one company and an imprint that is doing not as good because of the way the indie market is right now, I mean, creators are going to make more money with Image than they will at Vertigo. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're a creator, where do you take your project? You take it to Image. And that's, you know, that's not an editor's fault. That seems like it's more of a financial side, something that comes from a decision higher than, than Shelley Bond. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. upstairs so, at, at Warner's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's the failing of an imprint, you know, the stagnation of an imprint. Is it truly the editor's fault or are they just looking to get rid of another woman after oh, they've got rid of everyone else? Right. Yeah, that's something that's really interesting too. Like the irony that Vertigo is under DC, which is under this giant corporation, right? And it's kind of something that that we talked about last week too, with, with the diversity and studios' role in that, and why why certain you know groups of people or or, or types of actors or or you know whatever aren't represented in in the films that we see. And if it and if they're going to make the kind of financial argument, you know that well, this doesn't sell, or or this or this isn't selling, so we need to reshuffle this. Well, what's kind of, you know, that argument just doesn't seem to be jiving anymore. And I think what you're seeing here in this conversation, though, again, like you said, Bobby, these two stories are kind of separate, but when you put them next to each other. Right, the argument that Vertigo wasn't doing financially well, so we had to, you know, reduce the force and and riff out Shelley Bond's role. But then you look over here, is the Superman group really making that <laughs> yeah. much money? And this guy's yeah. really doing so well in his gig, you know. Um, 
and and that that gets to stay and 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 we have this kind of unfortunate thing over uh, on the vertigo side of it. It just that argument just doesn't work. Uh, it, and and I think that that's something that people are starting to see kind of across multiple industries, and we're starting to recognize that it is a question of representation and who's in charge and who's making the decisions and who do we give opportunities to and who has those opportunities and what do we reward and what don't we? Um, and, and it's interesting that both of these stories are breaking or in the Braganza story. It isn't Eddie Braganza. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that story is kind of re-breaking that these two stories are kind of next to each other. Cause you know, you're seeing it there too. I just don't buy the, the financial thing. It just doesn't seem like, a uh, a valid kind of thing, you know, like Mara said, put her someplace else, put her in charge of the Superman books, you know, where's the yeah. Supergirl book? Hmm. Yeah. Well, here's, here's my question, you know, hearing that she is, you know, off of the vertigo title. Now, I don't know when it becomes an effect. Does it make you want to go buy a vertigo book? Hmm. Right. I mean, no. regardless of if it's a good book or not, I mean, if you, hear of a company treating their employees like this or, or treating their editors like this, it doesn't, you know, we talk a lot about how the behind the scenes thing influence how you feel about a book. Like, you know, last week we talked about Bloodstain and about how this was the creator's way of, of breaking back out and, and finding that love of comics that influenced how much I appreciated the book. Mm. And it's the same thing here where the context of, of the comic and the context of the, the company makes me very nervous and very apprehensive about buying into anything that they put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that what it says more to me than just isolating the case of Braganza is just the idea of what it means for what are all the stories we haven't heard, you know, throughout what, what are all the, the things that people have been too scared to come out and say in, in, in other instances mm -hmm. with other editors, with other people who have done things like this, because Look, here, the deal is DC can't can't now fire him if if he, if, if the, infra the last infraction he had was four years ago. He went through all of their corporate rigmarole, and they said as long as you go through this, you can stay. The, the, it's very hard for them to fire him now. They should have fired right. him four years ago. Like a, yes. you know they should have fired him five years ago. They should have made it easy for their employees who were harassed by this man to come out and feel safe in coming out that they weren't going to lose their jobs or burn their bridges in the comic book industry because they were afraid of, of riling the boys club that, that runs everything that's going on. Um, this should have happened. The, 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 company, the, the company has an obligation to its employees to them, for them to feel safe and protected in their place of work. And if they don't feel safe and protected in their place of work, the company is failing. They're, they are not doing their jobs and they deserve to be taken to task for it. And the, the, it's just, they, they also, let's just say from a business perspective, it's a stupid ass move because you leave yourself so open to being, to, to these exact things, right? Um, you, you leave yourself open to being rightfully brought down by stupid mistakes instead of, look, Superman is going to sell whatever it's going to sell. It's not because of Eddie Braganza that it's selling however yeah. much it's selling, you know? It, it just that's just the way it goes you know you, you the, the idea of the fact that like, joey i agree with you like the the financial aspect of, of it all you know whoever you put on superman it's going to sell relatively well you know it's not like it's not like Eddie, it's his it's not his doing and it wouldn't be his fault if it wasn't selling well either you know but it's like 
don't tell me that if you gave Shelley Bond the, you know, not, again, they're not totally related, mm-hmm. but Shelley Bond, the key to Superman, that they wouldn't sell just as well. And you come off a, a period where with the new DCU, with what Mark Doyle did mm. with Batgirl Burnside and some of these other books that they tried to lighten things up a bit to grow their female readership, mm. younger readership. You add this that story into these, and now we have those books going away, mm-hmm. the return to the old way of things and the, the darkness of it. it, all sort, it, it it's a toxic stew. Yes, very toxic. Extremely toxic. And- and the other thing is, like, you know, like you said, we're removed from this. And to some extent, stories that we're piecing together from comments that former creators and people that know and that have been there, we're piecing it all together. But regardless of, of you know, whether uh, Shelly Bond knew and, and it was kind of something she was like, okay, I'm going to step off and do this or, or what the deal is with the Superman editor and all of that, regardless, the optics of it mm-hmm. are absurd. You know, it's it's especially on the cusp of DC trying to rebrand themselves this summer to be going into it with these two stories, the the kind of reshuffling and and um, I mean we don't know what's going to happen, but but um, uh, removal in some ways of this really iconic Vertigo line, and then you have this 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 story uh, with with Braganza. It's just the optics of it are, are not good. No, they're horrible. The optics are horrible. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it, it's it, it's really it's really bad. It's it's a really bad look for them, and it's just horrible to think again about what's going on that we're not hearing about. Because I remember um, a few months ago we spoke about I remember what year ago that Alex DeCampi uh, mm-hmm. um, blog post that, that she put up. Um, we've heard stories about people, you know, like Brian Wood and like Nathan Edmondson, people who have done bad things to people and have continued to be able to work without really any interruption in, 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 in how they go along. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we run into this, this, this kind of classic problem, which is that these women come out and they say something and they don't, the majority of people don't believe them or they need other proof that, that it happened. And it's this symptomatic um, disease uh, of, of society to not believe women when they make these sort of claims and and it's it's unbelievable to me that that there's not even like a deep look at any uh, at them it's just a it's just a well there's no proof so let's just let's just move mm-hmm. on we don't want to we don't want to sling this guy's name through the mud forget about the person who's sitting there probably has post traumatic stress and they're they're trying to get their life back together because of something that happened to them no don't we won't worry about that we just want to make sure this guy's name gets besmirched right. Yeah. And then go right. attack the, the person who tried to bring up the subject. Yeah. And let's attack them on the internet and, and Twitter and call them every kind of name you can imagine. Yeah. All. Yeah. Yeah. As bad as this all is, you know, when, when we hear about these harassers and we hear about people who are just not good people in general, the girl comics side of Twitter becomes like this great warm place to go. Huh. And you start, yeah. yeah, like you start finding out which creators are going to be advocates for people who have undergone this, like um, Tess Fowler, who does art on Rat Queens, which is taking a hiatus right now. Um, She went on to a lengthy um, run on on her Twitter feed about, you know, yes, it is hard to speak up about these things. Yes, you don't want to lose your job because if you work for DC and you speak out, you know, like Janelle Aslan, you have to leave. Like, you don't have your job anymore. And you start 
figuring out which women in the industry that this really speaks out to them and that they are going to, you know, they're in a position where they can start making those changes or start making enough noise to make that changes. And it makes you want to pay attention to them more. Like, like I said, like Tess Fowler and Janelle and Jordi Belair and these women in the industry who, you know, they see the problem, they will call it out and they will let you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we, we, we got through this the conversation and yes. it's very important and, and I, I want to make I, I think silence is a, is a big problem and I think this is shown that into even sharper relief and and rightfully so a lot of um, a lot of people have called to task the people who cover the comic book industry for not talking about this stuff in, in, in more detail and, and they're absolutely right I think the things that need to be talked about and you know, when people come forward, they need to be listened to. That the the work needs to be done, and the stories need to be reported on. Um, I will say our sources from this one came from uh, Comics Beat uh, and actually uh, Bleeding Cool, which wrote a very researched article about it, and we're, have been reporting on it since 2011 when yes. it happened. So, uh, you know, I I like what the writer in the Comics Beat article said. I have a lot of problems with what Bleeding Cool does, but I think it's important when stuff is done right to, to, to point it out. So, um, right. you know, I, I, it's important to keep talking about it, just like talking about representation in, in other ways. It's important to keep talking about this stuff because unless you talk about it, um, nothing has even the chance of, of, of getting done or, or changing. So we will continue to talk about it when, when these things come up and... All the time. I mean, yes. that, it, it, it's more important to talk about it when it's just not a hot button issue. When it's when it's all the time, it needs to be continually talked about. So, um, but let's move on. Let's move on to talk about some more comics. Bob, you had a couple of books that you wanted to talk about. Oh. One you were kind of like, eh, let's about. go. Let's go with it. Eh. One you were excited <laughs> about. So let's hear the eh eh. first. Captain America, Sam Wilson, number eight. Okay. I haven't read yeah. a lot of Nick Spencer mm. stuff. The Falcon things. And then transitioning into Cap with Sam have been interesting, but a weird sort of very political and then kind of goofy. It's all right, a little all over the place. I had heard he did Superior Foes, right? He did, yes. That we were into right. that sort of vibe mm. with this. Now, granted, it still says Sam Wilson on the cover, but this follows up the last issue, which had Steve Rogers being returned to mm. vibrancy, I guess is the way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's it's part of this standoff event that leads to Civil War too, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's Sam on the book. Steve Rogers is back. He should dominate the story. There should be Steve moments. Mm -hmm. And there aren't really. There's a lot of running around and fighting and some talking heads. And there's nothing that stands out that says, wow, I want to read more like that. I want to see where this issue goes. Eh, just it was a book. I read it. Joey, what do you think? You sounded you sounded in that deep breath that you're on the page with me on this. Yeah, and it's a bummer too because for the first few issues of the Sam Wilson book, um, I was interested in it. And some of the things that, uh, you know, the, the Cap Wolf stuff and the political stuff, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it felt different. And I think that this book in particular has really suffered from the crossover, yeah. from the standoff thing. Um, Partly because I think that the standoff, the whole Pleasant Hill idea uh, in Spencer's hands has kind of become a little bit, um, a little too jokey, mm -hmm. lighthearted, the way he's kind of been treating these, these supervillains. And, and he does it well. I mean, Superior Foes is a great book. Ant-Man's a great book because of how he kind of treats the supervillain idea. But 
it, it just feels too too light. Uh, the stakes are never really that high. Uh, um, I love seeing Bucky in the book. It's spectacular. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I will say that that vibrant cap, he looks younger than he's ever looked. Well, he even uh, mentions under, um, yeah. who's doing the illustrations here. This is uh, Paul Renault. Paul Renault. Paul Paul Renault. Renault. Right. Um, he uh, he looks younger and and uh, more dashing than I think ever. Um, I don't know if that's just Renault's work or what, but yeah, I'm with you. It just felt a little blasé, and I can't tell if that's because the book has kind of been fledgling the last couple of issues or if it's because of the standoff thing. Um, I don't know where this book goes after standoff because I think it goes right into Civil War. I think. Yeah. I, I, I The solicits, but um, yeah, it, it's really it's really suffering from it in a, in a not a good way. Um, I love Sam Wilson as Cap, and I love seeing the three of them together, Bucky, Sam, and Steve, as the Caps. You know, mm-hmm. that's really cool to see, but the book just hasn't really been doing well under the standoff title and if it goes right into civil war i just don't see um how it bounces back well here's something after that you know you have all three captain americas here and bucky who took over and certainly sam now and steve from before they don't have moments individually and without spoiling the last last page the last panel preceding the last page the three of them standing together Wow, if that were your last page, a full-page shot of the three caps against the horde of supervillains, you'd be, I can't wait to see what next issue is. Now it's sort of, we don't care about the three caps, we're moving on to this standoffy thing. Yeah. I, I, now he is, Mr. Spencer is doing the Steve Rogers Captain America as well? Right, yes. <laughs> I'm, a, you know, I will try. You know, I want to... I want to have some more Captain America, and I want some Steve Rogers in in that book too. And it can't be worse than the Remender Run, is what I keep <laughs> telling myself. And that's just not a good enough reason to to buy a book in this day and age. With with the first issue, will probably be five dollars. Oh, the first issue yeah. will definitely be five dollars. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> seven dollars. Yeah, yeah, now that I said that, yeah, they're going to raise it. Just thirty for, pages, seven dollars. Yeah, with an adamantium glow in the dark cover with a cutout of a star in the middle. See, that's why you do Marvel Unlimited, mm-hmm. where wait. things and wait six months. So the first two issues of that series are on there. So I don't. Yeah. Have, I have a while before I can be disappointed. Uh, you know, I will tell you, Mara, on Marvel Unlimited, all of Shattered Empires on Marvel Unlimited now. And yeah. I, I, like two days ago, it was amazing, amazing, amazing story. <laughs> So has my vote? Has my vote for best miniseries of 2015? Yeah. Where were you? Too late. Five yeah. months ago, Joey. <laughs> you could have locked I was it six in. Behind. <laughs> and that cost my Silver Surfer issue because it, it, it the, the the Mobius strip didn't read digitally. It's like thanks, Joey. Oh, uh, Mar yeah. and I are gonna have the knives out next year for you. Just wait. Just wait. What do you I nominate mean, that's an issue something? That got the nominate nomination, wasn't it? Number eleven. Yeah. 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 It got okay. in. Yeah, it got oh, it got in, but it didn't get enough votes because you couldn't see the beauty of the the <laughs> intertwined storyline. Hmm. No. I want to see Joey's I nominations early this year so I can just go, <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Yeah. I will say about the, the cap issue, there was some really interesting stuff with a certain 
uh, supervillain that is revealed in the book. Yes. Uh, some really, I think, effective jokes uh, involving a, a birthday party in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, but, but I feel like that's Spencer right in his wheelhouse, and the book really clicks. Um, it's a bummer because I feel like the Sam Wilson Cat book is such an interesting and important book to, to what Marvel can be doing, mm-hmm. and to watch it kind of weighed down under this this other stuff is 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 sad to see i think um and i hope it bounces back because i like the character a lot that that character we're mentioning without talking his name up because we'd leave the surprise he had a lovely appearance a couple issues back in squirrel girl because he has a van which is really kind of all right we'll just leave it at that i guess we will yes (laughs) um I know even that book talk. We'll, we'll circle back around. Yes, absolutely. How, how about that? Because you have a book you're very positive on that you that you want to talk yes. about. Um, I want to talk about a book that's coming out uh, tomorrow uh, or today. I guess if you're listening to this, I guess it's today. It's from Black Mask Studios. We you know we talked about uh, you can never go home or we can never go home. Sorry, um, I always get the name of it wrong because uh, I always think it's that Thomas Wolfe book yeah, and, yeah. And, not, and not this book. Um, but uh, and it's actually Matthew Rosenberg, who wrote that book, is actually the writer on this book, which is called Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Uh, it's a five-part miniseries. Uh, Tyler Boss, which is a great name. Yeah. It's a great name. Tyler Boss is, is the art, artist and designer. Uh, flatting by Claire DeZuti, uh, lettering by Thomas Maurer, and wallpaper design by C- Courtney Menard. Um, very interesting thing that Black Mask does is they put the writer's name last often in, in the credits instead of the into the first. It's at most other. Hmm. Um, it's very interesting, to, I think, to emphasize the uh, the artist's work on the book. But uh, four kids walk into a bank uh, is are about it's about four kids um, and their group of friends are they're kind of misfitty. You know, they uh, the the book starts out with this sort of uh, Dungeons and Dragons game that they're playing, and they uh, it's but it's visualized like what's in their head. So you're seeing the the knights and the dragons and, and, and the action and, and, and the sword play. And uh, um, we, we then cut to kind of this table covered in orange soda that <laughs> one of one of our main characters, uh, Daniel Berger Berger, <laughs> did. He's sort of, sort of the one that's, he sort of is the most obnoxious, but also sort of the most uh, sympathetic in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. he, he's allergic to ice cream. For God's sakes, poor kid. There's a, there's a great moment where they go, I'll take, the dad goes, I'll take you out for ice cream. And he goes, I'm allergic to ice cream. And dad goes, of course you are. <laughs> you would be. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, uh, our main character is, um, is Paige, uh, who is, uh, her, her Dungeons & Dragons character name is Sir Manly. Um, <laughs> we have Walter Johnson, uh, who is a.k.a. Walter, uh, unimaginatively. Uh, Pat Stretch Scram, who's uh, the tallest boy in the seventh grade. And I said Daniel Berger Berger, whose name in the, in the game is Crotch the Sticky. That's his name. Oh. <laughs> um, but, it, it, you know, they're kind of normal, normal kids hanging out. And then these four, uh, I will call them bad guys, sort of barge into their home and want to speak to their father. And the kids won't let them in. And uh, they actually kind of fight off uh, the group oh. of four. Um, the, our main character, she gets punched in the face by, by, by one of them. But she takes it very, very well and gets right back up. Um, but these four people want her father to go help them with a bank heist. He seems like a normal guy, so you don't really know. Do they know him before? Does he have some sorted past that he's never mm. told his daughter about? Um, and, and, and so it kind of goes on from there, but the story is really about these four kids um, trying to figure out what's going on, and we end the first issue 
on a little bit of a, of a cliff, cliffhanger when they discover something that they weren't expecting to discover. Um, you know, it's got a little bit of like Goonies sort of in it, but it's got a little bit of, I don't know, it's got a little bit of Wes Anderson. It's got a little bit of Quentin Tarantino. It, it's got all these sort of oh. things sort of meshing together. And, it, and it's, it's constantly surprising. It, it's, con- it, it's constantly shoot, uh, setting stuff up and then completely undercutting your expectations of what's uh, uh, about to happen. And there's great sort of comedic takes on these kids, what these kids do on a stakeout and how each of them will uh, kind of act in, in those moments. But every, all, every single one of the four characters is very well drawn, both visually, but I'm in, in, in character, mm-hmm. I, they're very, all very memorable. I remember all of them. I, I'm interested in all of them. Um, our main character is obviously the sort of strongest and the leader of the group, but she's also very much the most interesting member of the group, which is a promising thing. Uh, I think for, for any story, uh, it's it's a really fun book, but it, it and I wrote there's a review up on the side of it now that I wrote. It, it's it's light enough to where it doesn't get too somber, but it's dark enough to where the things that are happening feel like they have stakes. You know, it, it doesn't feel like it's a big parody, right? It feels mm-hmm. like there's real stuff going on here, and these there's real stakes, and these kids could get hurt, and these you know, the grumps could get hurt. Uh, and I really liked the, about it. It's got a it's got a great wryness to it. It's got a good sense of humor, but also a good sense of drama. Um, it's a really excellent beginning. It's a five part. It's gonna be a five part series. Uh, really excited to read it. It's cool. Black Mask did some cool stuff over the last year, uh, and this is another one of of those things. So, can you say the title one more time? Four kids walk into a bank. That's what the title is called. Yes. Yeah. Four kids. Four kids walk into a bank. Yes. Okay, that's probably why I missed it because. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a crime with a number four. With number a number four. four, yes. And I will say the cover oh, okay. design really cool. It's got a really coolly designed cover. It's got sort of like a, a Saul Bass like movie poster mm-hmm. type type of feel to it. Like it yeah. almost like a '60s movie poster or something uh, feel to it. Really neat. Um, good attitude. Great looking book overall. Just a really a really solid first issue. I mean, who knows how the five parts you know map themselves out and, and how they pay each other off, but. It, it's a really neat book, and, and if, if it sounds interesting to you, I, I definitely recommend picking it up from uh, from Black Mask, who's on Comicsology now. So if hey, you, man. Uh, ah. yeah, and that's out. You sold today. it. I'm gonna pick it up. Cool. I I, I look forward to hearing your opinions uh, on it because it's uh it's an interesting book for sure. Hmm. I'll say again, Tyler Boss is a really cool name. It's a really yes. cool name. Um, <laughs> T Boss. T Boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> T Dog. <laughs> I will say chapter one is entitled as far back as lunchtime. I always wanted to be a gangster. So (laughs) (laughs) there you go. I'm still trying to figure out what flatting and wallpaper. I think the wallpaper, I I mean, it's a very bad radio, but I I believe this is the wallpaper. Oh, behind the chapter. (laughs) Behind the chapter heading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Flatting is is some sort of color process, though. I don't really know how it all maps out. I'm still not all all the way up in all my all my terminology when, when this stuff goes. But very cool, very cool book. So I definitely, definitely recommend it. Um, Mara, what, what, what's something you read this week that you want to highlight? Um, this is something I binge read this week, and I actually ended up writing an article about it. So, you know, it paid off. And that I talked about briefly earlier, A Silent Voice, which is a um, seven-volume manga series from Kodansha. It is written by Yoshitoki Oyama and... Um, the sixth volume came out in print this past week, but all seven 
volumes have been published in Japan, and you can actually read them all digitally with a Crunchyroll subscription. Oh, cool. So Crunchyroll is not just anime. If you have a subscription, you can go read same-day release as Japan, which is why I was able to binge read it all at once, mm -hmm. even though it's not all published in America yet. So just to give a little bit of background on why this particular series really stood out to me, I, I'm a school psychologist. My job is qualifying children for special education services. And usually that has to do with intellectual disabilities, children with um, health impairments, um, specific learning disability, um, vision impairments, autism, things like that. And one thing that um, is starting to become more on my radar is uh, disabilities related to hearing impairments. And one of the buildings I work in, we have the hearing impaired classroom with a, a teacher who um, knows sign language and knows how to teach deaf children and children with um, hard, who are hard of hearing. And there's a sign language interpreter who works in our building as well. And so when I heard about this manga and I heard that it was um, you know, relatively new and it was nominated for an Eisner, I was like, okay, I definitely have to check it out. And it's about this young girl named um, Shoko who is deaf and she wears hearing aids to try to pick up as much as she can. She's a new transfer student to this elementary school classroom. And there's a boy named Shoyo who sits behind her, who is classic attention-seeking uh, elementary school student who's jumping off bridges into water, who's um, the class clown and things like that. And he sees this deaf girl and he sees oh, I don't have to be bored anymore. I can pick on her every day. And so, you know, the first volume is their elementary school years where he's yelling at her behind her, her back, yelling things that are um, mean and, and taunting and teasing her, ripping her hearing aids out of her ears and crushing her hearing aids, throwing things in the lake, um, you know, just like terrible taunting and bullying. And over the course of seven volumes of this manga, we see how that bullying has impacted both children. Um, Shoko, who has uh, kind of developed this coping mechanism for the bullying, where it's not really the most healthy way to adjust to it. And Shoyo, who has become completely isolated from his classmates because of uh, no one wants to be associated with the bully, even though they're all laughing and agreeing with him. Hmm. And it's it was it was pretty incredible. It was very well done. And I do want to point out that each chapter with the author's name on it underneath says um, under the supervision of the Federation of or sorry, Japanese Federation of the Deaf. Huh. So she worked closely with this this Japanese Federation who, you know, represent people who are deaf. So I thought it was a very good um, manga series, short and sweet, seven volumes. That's really not a whole lot. I mean, I got through it probably a couple hours, um, just binge reading and, and very engaged with all the characters and um, how how this bullying and, and teasing and taunting really had this lasting impact on them. Wow. So that's it. I'm sure that's going to really work for the classroom setting too. You'll be able to use certainly incidents from this book with, with your kids and for the teachers yeah. and the parents too. Yeah, no, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, probably starting next year, I'll write some more grants to get more comics and manga in my um, my class because I'll be doing, I'll hopefully be doing my postdoc, and I can do um, therapy sessions with kids and using this as a model for how to respond to bullying, how to yeah. report bullying, 
what to do if you see bullying and, and things like that, especially with children who look like us. But because of impairments, slows down the classroom, uh, requires you to make adjustments on how you interact with others and things like that. Right. Awesome. Well, yeah, my, uh, my sister is severely hearing impaired. So mm-hmm. um, I actually just ordered the first volume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I should say, like, um, you know, for me, I've never been bullied. I've never been teased. I'm so lucky in that manner. But I can imagine that if you have that kind of history where you think people are talking about you or, or you know people are talking about you and, and thinking of you in a different way, that this could be a little bit, like, triggering, even though um, it's set in elementary school. It could bring up like some bad memories and feelings, but I think that the characters all kind of deal with it over the course of the series and um, things turn out. Okay. It's all good. Okay. So, huh. yeah, it's definitely, definitely something I would recommend. So, so Marge, do you want to talk more about Legion of superheroes? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that podcast. Okay. I will say uh, it was difficult. There's like 25 members. And when some members leave, they add more, um, but thankfully, at every other panel, they say each other's name. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. I think that's a product of the the age and the time that it was it was made. But man, alive! I've never spent so much time trying to read an issue. <laughs> so much work. So um, many words. But you, you, you know, your guys' legendary runs episode about uh, Legion of Superheroes is up now. Everybody should go listen to it because it's a uh, it's a great yeah. episode. Our uh, next one should be a little bit easier because it's um, Stanley and Steve Ditko's Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, should, yeah. That's should cool. be should be easier to get through. Yeah, there's a lot of issues for me. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I was I loaded them on my iPad from Marvel Unlimited. They're all there. I'm like, that's 46 issues. <laughs> yeah, Dang. that's you're, you got <laughs> yeah, a 40, lot. That's dense. Those are dense issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 1960s 46 issues. Yeah. Not, <laughs> I know. A couple of annuals in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. They're gonna make you work for it. <laughs> They're going to make you work for those 46 issues. Bob, did you ever read Legion of Superheroes? Here and there. Here and there. The really early ones, the old Adventure okay. Comics ones, mm-hmm. where we got into the Legion of Super Pets and all that other crazy <laughs> stuff we talked about last time around. And always check back in as I check back in with Titans here and there. Paul Levitz, you know, ended up being the publisher of DC, but he was a great writer and mm-hmm. showed that even recently coming back yep. with World's Finest. He can certainly juggle teamwork and camaraderie and friendship. Even when they're named Matter Eater Lad and Triplicate Girl and right. Lightning Glass and all the rest. <laughs> I will say it, it was. It did get easier once I got to know the characters. Yes. yes. It was fascinating to hear see. the way that you and Matt interfaced with the books. And like, he had, there's like a severe sense of like, uh, like anxiety about the way Matt talks about how he feels about Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> like, he's like, so many people love this comic series. So many people do. Like, this is a big part of a lot of people's childhood. I don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of feel like that huge imposter syndrome going on where it's like, uh, I don't know what to say. But I, I mean, once I got like, once I got like 15 issues into the run, I was, I was kind of sold on it. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good, a very good episode. Um, and I, I know yeah. nothing about Legion of Superheroes, and I feel like after listening, I know a lot more because you guys did this like very extensive character breakdown. You went through like every main <laughs> character in it before you even talked about the story. I was like, wow, I feel. And then when you were talking about the story, I was like, okay, I know who they're talking about. When you're, it was, it was, it was a good way of breaking it down. I will say Thanks. that. Yeah. So, so through all this, who's your favorite Legionnaire? Um, 
Well, I'd, I'd like to say Brainiac 5. I would have thought so. Because I think he and I are kindred spirits. <laughs> We're very, like, we don't want to mess with anyone else's drama. Like, y'all go pair up. Y'all go pair up. I'm going to sit here in front of my computer and we're going to get shit done. <laughs> I really, I really connected with him on on that level, and like, I loved how much they all loved D and D. Like that was, so it was so refreshing to know in the 30th century D and D still exists, <laughs> and there are still youngsters out there who gathered around a table and roll dice. No. <laughs> I also liked Phantom Girl. Nicely played. Yeah, my my only experience with Legion of Superheroes is reading. I read when I ranked the entire New Fifty Two like a couple years ago. I read the first six issues of it of the New Fifty Two arc, and I was like, I have no idea who any of these people are, what they're talking about, or what's going on. <laughs> like after after we read all of this, we found on Amazon Prime the old Legion of Superheroes cartoon. Oh. Huh. And that was something I didn't know existed. And it was done in like that Teen Titans kind of style, mm. um, like that early mid 2000s, I guess. Wow. Probably mid 2000s. Wow. Yeah. I... And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like they have better <laughs> costumes here. Like Saturn Girl looks so much younger and not so matronly. And Brainiac looks like a straight up alien. And it was it was pretty cool. That's very cool. I didn't, I didn't know that I, either. Yeah, I'll, I'll, either. Have look for, I'll have to look yeah. for that. I have Amazon Prime. Um, I'll have to take a look for that. Cool, 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 cool. All right, Joey, what about you? What do you got for us? Um, Power Man and Iron Fist? Bob, was that one that you wanted go to talk about, it. too? No, go for it. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah, it together. Um, yeah. We're on issue three at this point from David F. Walker and Sanford Green uh, with Colors by Lee Lawfridge. Um, the book's cool. I, I love the Iron Fist character, as you guys know, and, and I love seeing him and Luke Cage together. And uh, we get a little bit more Jessica Jones and Danielle Cage in this book, too. It's fun. It's weird, too. They're doing the whole magic thing. Um, my issue with the book, it's not even really an issue because I, I feel like it'll, it's something that uh, will shift as the book goes on, is I love Luke Cage in the book. Um I'm not, not so hot on the characterization of Danny Rand, and in this issue, not so hot on the character of Jessica Jones. I ju they just feel a little one notey for me. Danny Rand feels a little, um, little too happy-go-lucky. I, I don't, not that I need him to be brooding, but uh, he just seems a little too jokey here. Um, but the book itself, as a whole, is spectacular. They go and visit Doctor Strange. This issue, the the story is really moving along at a nice, quick pace. Um, I love the book. I think David F. Walker is doing a great job with it. I hope and I anticipate some shifts to to that one character, Danny Rand, uh, coming forth. But Bob, what did you think of the book? Well, I feel just as you do. There is a very goofy aspect right now to Danny that seems a little off kilter. But I think what it is, he's trying so hard to make this team that isn't a team work again to the consternation of Jessica, who's like, no, you're not a team again. And no, no, Luke, you can't wear that shirt. I got you that for Father's Day. You wrecked enough shirts here. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a momentum building, I think. And when you finally get the team together, I think there'll be lighter stories, more serious stories. Here, it's the super, super soul stone which only Senor Magico can tell them about, because even Doctor Strange is, is in the dark. So it's this <laughs> low-rent low wannabe magician in his in the back of a deli or whatever it is. It's just, just hysterical. We get lots of 
Mariah Dillard and Jenny Royce and what's going on with them, they've gotten to be very bad because apparently the Super Soul Stone is a real thing. Who knew? If Doctor Strange doesn't, how could we? But it, it, it turns turns things really serious. And I think just what you're talking about, Joey, as we move forward, we'll have a, a mitigation of Goofy. But in the meantime, having a lighter book like this, because in, in the old days, Luke's book would have those oddball issues where he'd have a Christmas issue and there'd be weird things going on or there'd be the, the Phantom of the Arcade of 42nd Street and so on. The sort of street-level things that... Not everything has to be earth-shattering. And so we have this sort of bromance here that's been you know, missing for how many years since these characters have been together. So it's nice seeing them grow back together, even if it does seem a little forced from Danny's side. It's like, come on, we're a team, right? They have yeah. to be a team if they're going to ride around in a smart car. I was just going to say, yeah. seeing Luke Cage, illustrated by Sanford Green, standing next to this very small vehicle is every, everything I want in yes. a comic book. Yeah. It's spectacular. Yeah. Uh, this is some of the lines where, you know, Jessica can do whatever she wants. She's the boss. You know, yeah. Why do you let her talk to you like that? Well, she's in charge. You, you, she can curse in front of Danielle, but you can't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nuns, do, nuns don't lie. <laughs> God is their boss. Nuns can't lie. There's lots of little fun panels, and the action sequences, when they come, Sanford Green knocks them out of the park. Very, oh, yeah. yeah. And there's something else, too. Like, we were talking about Hawkeye earlier before, with which Fraction and David Aha just made their own and kind of dealing with the kind of street-levelness of it. And I think David... Walker and Sanford Green are doing kind of the same thing here and, and giving it that urban flair. And I think the sequence with Dr. Strange is, is kind of the perfect example. You know, they take it to Dr. Strange and Dr. Strange is like, I have no idea. Right. Like talk to me about the eye of Agamotto and stuff yeah. like <laughs> that. And, and Danny and Luke have to hit the streets and go see Senor Magico and Senor <laughs> Magico uh, reads them from this book. And, and Sanford Green gives us this full page spread and, of these weird idols and everything. And then right in the center, you have this dude in like an Adidas tracks yes. becoming a demon. And it's like, Oh, that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with something that is in Luke's neighborhood and Danny's neighborhood. This is an urban kind of story. And Walker has talked like adamantly about how that's the story he wants to tell. He wants to tell the story that like is, is something that he, he connects with and can see. So they're making it their own. And in that sense, I really enjoy reading this book every month. Um, like you said, though, I do want to see Danny kind of evolve a little bit more from that, but yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Big thumbs up. All right. Um, so, uh, I want to talk quickly about, I want I'm not going to go any spoilers. Nobody has to worry about it. I'm going to talk quickly about Batman 51. <gasps> Which is the end of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run uh, on Batman together. Um, uh, Denny uh, Miki on inks and uh, FCO Placienza on um, uh, colors. I want to big shout out to them. Uh, so yeah, this is number fifty one. We're 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 past super heavy. We're we're past the big sort of action finale of of their their run. And this issue is very much a sort of quiet. Very, uh, very quiet, almost subtle issue uh, 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 of Batman to, to close things out. Um, for me, as uh, obviously a huge fan of this run, it's one of the things I think has defined for me this time doing this site. You know, it, it's it's New Fifty Two started with it 
uh, we started with New Fifty Two. Batman was one of the first books that I was really I really read and was like I genuinely love this. You know, this the first comic books I really loved to read, and one of the first times I was able to say to myself, okay, this is how. I want, this is the best way to experience this character. You know, not in the movies, not in the cartoons, you know, r- right here. And obviously we can give Scott a lot of, Scott Snyder a lot of credit for, I think, initially giving this show a boost um, when barely anybody listened. You know, he came on the show and it was one of the first times we really kind of broke through in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, I have a lot of, emotional ties to this run and a lot of other feelings other than just the stuff that's been on the page. Um, but leaving all of that aside, what, even if I didn't have any of that stuff, I think this is a monumental uh, final issue. Uh, it closes out the run in, 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 I think, the only way you can close out something so big, which is to not send it out on you know big plot developments or, or plot movements. It's about... It's about the characters, it's about our main character, and it's about what the character means. It's, it's like a little thesis on what Batman means to Scott Snyder, what he means to Greg Capullo, what he means to us, what he, what he means to this whole sort of comic book l- landscape. Um, you know, a microcosm of that, and I, I, I won't say what's on it, but I showed Bob it before we started recording. Uh, the last page, to me, is perfect. It, it, it's the perfect way to end what, what he's been doing. It... it, it there's a line from Batman, which is just, I think, the quintessential sort of Batman line. And the the book is sort of peppered with these moments. There's a great, very sort of emotional moment with Alfred near the beginning where, um, you know, since Bruce has come back, he, he you know, he went through this, like, the, the sort of basically kind of a Lazarus pit, and he's completely healed, and, and, and Alfred is kind of commenting on the fact that there's no scars or, or no, no bruises on his back. Um, th- there's a great scene with him and Jim Gordon. There's a great scene with a bunch of the rogues. And I won't go into the details of anything because I want people to experience them and, and read them. I, and I would love to hear people's feedback on them. Um, there's this one moment, and I, again, I won't go deep into it, but there's this one moment where Batman encounters a, a thug that he had encountered in, in one of the first few issues of uh, Snyder and Capullo's run. And... This guy who was on, was on a horrible track in life, who was gonna be a, a bad guy, you know, he got kind of beat the snot, Batman beat the snot out of him, and he, he served his time, and now he's a contributing member of society. He works at a newspaper. He works. He works. He he has an honest living, and it was, and there's a very clear like, very clear message of this is one of the reasons why Batman doesn't kill the the people he comes in contact with because everyone deserves another chance to be a, a good person. Um, and mm. it, it's a beautiful little moment. And it, the, the issue is filled with beautiful little moments. It's also filled with more sort of playfulness and lightness than I've ever read in any of the issues from, from the team. Almost every scene huh. ends with a little like either, either um, written or sight gag. There, there's a play. There's a, 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 a hilarious moment with Batman and the, and the court of owls. Um, it, it, it just he, he's playing with all these ideas it, he, you can feel the love from both of them for these characters and for these scenarios and and for their time on, on the book and um it's it's a sad thing you know i it definitely i got more emotional writing my review than i, I got probably reading the book just thinking about everything because i went back and i read my first review of the, of the first one and i sort of like quoted it in, in the in the review and then i went back and read issue one 
And it's fascinating to read issue one and read this issue because they're very, there's a lot of symmetry between the two of them. The framing device is nearly the same thing. There are whole panels and pages that are um, very much echoing and sometimes recreations of panels from that first issue. So uh, either if you read it before or you read it after, I recommend reading that first issue the right time you read this, this one because there's so much in common between the two and it just shows so much um, you know, dedication and, and care and love for everything they've done over the last five years. Um, and one of the things that I was struck so much by going back to issue one and now reading this one, one thing, Snyder's gotten even much better as a writer, even better as a writer, but to look at what the book looks like five years ago, which still looks great, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with the way Batman number one looks, but to see where Greg Capullo has, has come, and this is an artist who's been working for for a very long time you know he, he's in his 40s he, he, he's he, you know he's not a new guy but in the in the four years he's been working four plus years in working on batman the the level of detail the, the the way he draws figures the way he draws backgrounds everything it has gotten 200 percent better it, it's it's unbelievable to look at, at the two sometimes it doesn't even look like the same artist and and i don't think you notice that mm. as much right when you're reading it month to month because it just gradually gets better you know but going back and seeing the stark difference between those two things was kind of amazing to me especially the way he draws bruce the way he draws the other characters bruce looks so young in that in that first issue he looks like a like almost like a like like he's 23 years old or something like that and and now he looks like a guy like in his early 30s or mid 30s and and i don't know if that was a that could have been a dictum from dc it could have you know i don't know what it was but just the way but just the way he draws batman everything about it it's just, it's amazing to see the growth. It's amazing to see the growth in the way Snyder writes and, and the way he's become more reserved and subtle with the amount of words that he uses, trusting the artist and people around him to, to tell the story in ways that he can't himself, you know, with, 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 uh, with his pen. It, it's, it's amazing. It's been an amazing ride. I mean, if you haven't read Batman, go back, read it all, read this issue. It, you won't be disappointed, honestly, in any of it. it, it he's done classic takes on on old characters he's created brand new characters i think uh the court of owls is you know going to be a a, a villain that's going to be around for for a long time and and even in this issue he he puts all the toys back in the toy box but he hints at what is going what's to come so he he kind of leaves i think a passageway for tom king I'm sure they talked about what the plan was going forward so there's something like a through line leading le- leading there um it's just like I said, to, to me, it's, it's the perfect way to end this. I couldn't have asked for a better way to end uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman run. Um, most people are probably reading it now who are yes, out there. Yeah. It, but it's really amazing and, and, and fantastic. And, you know, I, I think you have to prepare that it's not going to be full of action. It, it feels a lot like um, the way that, um, you know, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez ended Lock and Key. You know, the big action issue comes the, the, uh, the penultimate. And in, the, in, the, in this final issue, we get sort of the small character moments and it's really, really wonderful book. And, and so I, I, it's, it's great to see something that I love that much and great. Right. You know? Not that it should end, but it should end with something so special. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's, it's made me very happy. Made me very, very happy. So excited about that and sad. <laughs> uh, so how, how do you, it's one of the things I thought about too a lot when I was, when I was writing the review afterwards, is how do you follow how do they? How does it? Tom King has a big, a big job on his hands. Yeah, and the answer is you really you can't follow it. You have to go and do your own thing, and you have to. It's going to be an adjustment period, but it's it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, so uh, I don't want to go through a couple. We had a, a couple questions that uh, uh-huh. on Twitter I want to ask really quick. So this is from Sleepiest Writer. They say yeah. um, it really compares the rise of the publicity for writers mirroring the the rise of the publicity for artists back in in, in the nineties. Um, Bob, you were obviously right in it at, th- at that point. Yeah. Do you see any similarities between those two things? I think absolutely. You had the image revolution, a company founded by artists, who I guess that would culminate. There was a Wizard World debate between Todd McFarlane and Peter David over whether or not you actually needed writers at all <laughs> in the middle of all that sort of stuff. And when you think of, that didn't go very well for Mr. McFarlane, need, needless to say, the way, the way Peter can throw words around. So he, he was crushed. You, you, you took Peter and gave the points. It was one of those. Right now, it's the artist is, not in all cases, but is so secondary. We, we try to make an effort to make sure yeah. we, we, we mention artists where if you went back into the 60s or 70s, it was even. And we, we pendulum went one way, went the other. The sleepiest writer makes an excellent point. I think there's there's a great correlation there, and we do see some creators, some writers, making sure, as you mentioned with Black Mask, mm-hmm. putting the writer last. Yeah. Where you see uh, the Silver Surfer, it's co-created by Dan mm-hmm. Slott, Michael Allred. Yeah, you, yeah. You'll see some listed as storytellers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kelly Sue and Emma Rios with Brie, yeah. Sam Neill Wade. Yeah, and Matt Wilson, I think, are actually all on the, on that on that list now. Right. Yeah. So I th- that may be what starts to change it back over again, mm-hmm. unless we get a whole bunch of writer or- slash artists right coming coming yeah, yeah, into yeah, four yeah. again. <laughs> now, what about you yeah. guys who came at this after? Does mm-hmm. it seem odd to you that artists, considering it's a visual medium, are so secondary? You know, for me, it's I, I think in some ways I can be part of that problem because uh, you know I went to college for writing, I, I understand writing, you know, writing something that's instantly understandable. I know how to talk about writing mm-hmm. much, much more than I know how to talk about art. Okay. You know, like I, I don't, I, I can, I can say how it made me feel. I can, I can say that it looked great. I can talk about the use of colors, you know, and, and at this point I can, I can point out styles that remind me of other styles, but you know, I've had to learn that over the last couple of years. Like when we first started, I had no idea. Had, I didn't even didn't really know what a what a penciler did, what a colorist did. You know, I, I didn't know I didn't know the differences. Mm-hmm. So I, um, for me, it's been coming out from a very different direction. I mean, I think obviously, it is strange now looking at it that uh, that writers are so heavily promoted over the artists in a lot of ways. But I think that's because most people in general understand writing and what a writer does mm-hmm. more than what an artist does. But that's just kind of how I come to it. Mara, what about you? Well, this is something that, you know, my, my mom got her bachelor's in fine arts. Like her job is to paint and, and create emotion from it. I don't have a creative bone in my body and I don't understand how art works. Now, that being said, ever since I started getting really back into comics, I've had to buy books about art style. And in fact, like on my desk right next to me is a book I've checked out from the library about color and color harmony and, and how color can convey emotion and, and things like that. So, you know, when I started reading comics, it made sense to me that I picked up on who the writer was a lot quicker and a lot um, more readily than the artist. But now as I start reading more about comics and about, you know, what am I really attracted to in these books, I'm making myself pay more attention to the artist. 
and you know would you know the whole writer artist kind of combo when you have one person doing both that's something that we see a lot in, in manga and a lot of times with um, indie books as well so it's easier to to see that there but you know it's, it's, it's something that I have to work on and remind myself to pay more attention to the art as I'm reading the comic to to really understand 100 percent the story instead of what I do already which is pay more attention to the speech bubbles mm-hmm. yeah i actually found one of the times i kind of when we were reading black panther and i think i talked about this like sometimes i straight up miss stuff in the art because i'm so focused on reading the reading the reading the words and yeah and <laughs> and sometimes i feel like i'm bad at reading comic books like i have that feeling sometimes you know i'm like i, I how did i miss this because i, I you know I, I, i'll go back and i'll i'll like i'll have to i'll have to tell myself i'll be like stop and look at the panel that you're reading. Don't just glance at it and then go up and read the, you know, and read the words. And it, obviously, when it's big two-page spreads or there's these big, I'll stop and look at it. But a lot of time when it's just regular panel structure, sometimes I will, I will barely look and, and mm-hmm. sort of go up. So it's it's like a weird situation for me on that. Joey, what about you? Uh, I was just gonna say I think something that was really interesting for me was when I first got into comics. You know, it was because the X-Men books, but I was reading the X-Men books for the narrative and trying to follow along with what was going on. And then once I kind of fell in love with, for example, Ed Brubaker on Cap, I was reading Cap because it was Ed Brubaker's run. And then I got into Bendis' Daredevil and I kind of went that way based on the writer. But I think that the two things happened. I think one, as in the last decade or so of me reading comics, as, as more distinct art styles and, and and in the mainstream books you know chris samney doing work in at marvel and and, and uh, things like that like being able to recognize that alex mayleaf like i could spot alex mayleaf mm-hmm. you know that's when the artist kind of becomes prominent again you know whereas i think if you go to the flagship books or the franchise like the big two and you they fall into that house style mm-hmm. uh on a monthly basis then you then you are going to focus on the writer because they're trying to carry this narrative over the course of a year or multiple years and the artists are going to switch off every couple of issues so i think one thing that changed was i think we're starting to see more writer artists or combinations or writer artists as the same person um on a single book uh at- houses i think that's kind of changing the conversation too i think another thing that changed the conversation for me too is reading more graphic novels Mm. Um, when i got you know later in high school and into college too because there bobby when you're reading a book month to month you know you're reading for that story and you're trying to follow along and the characters or whatever but when you're sitting down and read a graphic novel just like when you sit down to read a novel you are pouring over the pages a little bit more and, and um, you are associating yourself with the art a little bit more and it becomes more about than it does about who's writing and who's drawing. Um, so I think that those, those two things, I think kind of the more regular writer artist combination, you know, for example, um, Edmondson and Phil Noto on black widow, like if that book had come out a decade ago, it would have been Edmondson writing and four artists cycling in and out, you know, over the course of those 20 issues. But, by keeping it as that one person, that was that one set. Mark Wade and Chris Samney on on the Daredevil, like that's when it's more of a balance. So, um, and then obviously the graphic novel thing too. But yeah, it's it's weird, but uh, because it is a visual medium. But I think the month to month thing, you get dedicated to the story, so you associate the story with the writer. And it's 
something interesting. Yeah, and I mean, especially right on these, a lot of these big two books, it's even uh, the, the 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 artist will cycle sometimes, and the writer will remain the same. So you feel so I I I definitely get more invested in what the writer is doing because I know the artists are going to change. But I think there have been several books in the last couple of years that have changed that perspective for me in some ways. You mentioned, um, you know, something like Silver Surfer with the kind of co the kind of co-title uh, mm-hmm. on it. And I mean, I am I love Dan Slott's words, but I'm reading Silver Server for the way it looks. I, I Michael Allred's art is, is the reason why that book sticks with me. Uh, I think that you look at something like, um, like you look at uh, what Samney is doing now with Black Widow, and v- it's very much art first type of book. There, there's few, very few words. It, it's very much about the visual storytelling. And in that way, I'm forced to sort of um, engage with the visual language and, and follow it more closely. And I'll say the same thing, you know, about something like Hawkeye as well with the, the Aja Hawkeye stuff. It was very much, I you had to follow along with with the panel design because that's where a lot of the storytelling. Sometimes the words were inconsequential to what was happening yeah. in the story. Yeah. It, was just, it was just like silly gibberish. And then what was happening in the panels was what was telling you what what, what was going on in the story. And so those books forced me to sort of do that. But the books that are, don't do that, I think sometimes I lose. Uh, the 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 the, yeah. the subtleties and the finer details of the art get lost on me in those moments. Well, there's an old adage: a a good artist can save a bad story, and a bad artist can ruin a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's what they said in the old days. You remember when I was growing up reading Marvel, there was one writer. Mm. It was yeah, Stan yeah, yeah. writing every book, and whether it was Stan or Steve or Don Heck or doing the Avengers and Iron Man or George Tusker or somebody, mm. it was. Stan had different voices for each book, but it was still obviously the same universe and one guy. Right. Uh, DC's <laughs> books were all basically a very enjoyable but bland house style. It was very safe. Eisenhower, uh, we're all good guys. and Right. But you read them for those artists. Mm-hmm. That One book was Andrew and Esposito doing Wonder Woman or Metal Man, or over here was Mike Sikowski. And it's, oh, that. I, so it's, it's different. Even though it's the same, it's different. And... I think what we're all said here is we all learn to appreciate I come from the other side, you guys from this one. Mm-hmm. You eventually get a handle on it and wait for the, the pendulum will switch there. Simplest writer, easiest writer. What, what I lost his name already. I should have wrote that down. Who's our who's our question? Oh, uh, sleepiest. Sleepy sleepiest, sleepiest writer. Oh, I haven't had nearly enough coffee today. I'm <laughs> you, sorry. You sleepiest. are the sleepiest writer yes. right now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> one thing I do want to one thing I do want to add is like a couple weeks ago we talked about Wonder Woman Earth One and there was that there was um they they one I can't remember which media site covered it but they it was like Grant Morrison's Wonder Woman Earth One and everyone was like uh what about Yannick Paquette yeah. right yeah. on Twitter <laughs> and I think that part of it is kind of like we're saying like I think publicly in the main kind of gain popularity again or i mean they were always popular let's be real mm-hmm. but uh the the how the media like it's it's a question of ease like oh who who's it's a book so who's writing that book yeah and that's what they'll credit in the headline you know um so yeah i mean the conversation has to grow and evolve and, and we've grown and we've started t- talking about colorists now too which is awesome you mm-hmm. know betty brightriser matt wilson like there's so many great people that work on these books and to, to give them credit takes time, but it's important to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Conversely in movies, the writer doesn't exist. <laughs> it's the director above the titles. And no one wrote either, this, you know, No that. one wrote this movie. You know, it wasn't from a novel or anything like that. Sprung into being. Oh my goodness. 
All right. And I, I, don't, I honestly don't know the answer to this one, but this is from at Man Cave Podcast. <laughs> Wants to know, <laughs> is there any sports-centered comic books? Like someone with a fastball <laughs> that kills bad guys. <laughs> Boomerang. <laughs> well, we, we have had people on skateboards mm. and things like Adam that. X. <laughs> if we If we go back far enough into the golden age, there was the, the sportsman mm, and okay. there was an original huntress. And DC had an entire series of books called Strangest Sports Stories Ever Told. Mm. So there you go, Jeff. I'm sure, uh, Mara, I'm sure there is manga. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so much. Okay, so like I don't read a whole lot of um, sports manga because I don't really do sports. But the cool thing about sports stories in in manga is that it's always it's just like a like a superhero story. You you have like this prodigy and they're they're getting they're leveling up each time they fight. Um, the one that stands out to me right off the bat is Prince of Tennis, which I actually have read some of it. Wow. And, you know, it's like one of those things where this, this kid is so good at tennis. And then, you know, this guy's like, oh, I almost beat you. And the kid's like, I'm not even right handed, switches his racket to his left hand and then just pummels <laughs> this guy. Um, there's also things like um, Ace of Diamond or something like that, which is like a baseball story. Um Oh, I forgot what the basketball one is called, but like just type in sports manga and you'll find like so much to read. And there's also a lot of anime, like there's this volleyball anime going on right now. Um, and I can never remember its name because I don't actually watch it. Um, oh, hi, hi, or something like that. But it's a volleyball anime about a male team. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. Oh. Very, very cool. Wasn't Southern Bastards like about football, the last arc? There is, yeah. yeah there is also it? football stuff happening. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What was that miniseries we loved from two years ago? It wasn't Mara. No, not Mara. It was something. Oh, Mara. Yeah, Mara. Mara. Yeah, it's okay. Mara. Yeah, yeah. 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 Volleyball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Volleyball. Mm -hmm. Short story. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We have to talk. Mara is awesome. That is an yes. awesome miniseries. That is a great miniseries. I have a poster of it hanging in my office. Yeah. As you should. Yeah. It better. And, uh, the WWE puts out comics periodically, I think, still. I don't know if they still do it. The Undertaker. Yeah. There was kickers back in the new universe days. <laughs> more more better forgotten than just about anything else. Um, and Boomerang was uh, the lead in, um, you know, Superior Foes. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's it's is boomeranging boomerang really a sport? I don't know. If that's it's in Australia. Uh, in Australia. Uh, mate there's a marvel miniseries called 15 love okay it's a four issue um comic about a female tennis player and i think she's a high school tennis player yeah um, it? it's been a while since i've read it i feel like it was like kind of manga inspired artwork too right am i yeah it was very right? like yeah. much much in that style and it was um i think it's 15 15 love yeah I always see it at the top of the browse list on Marvel Unlimited, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep, that's it. Um, well, there was a lot more recommendations that came out about that I really ever expected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, 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 the funny, funny tweet, and then keep going. That was cool. All right. Um, Joey, two people tweeted us today but, like, and, and talked about reading series because you recommended them. Nice. Wicked and the Divine yeah. and Giant Days. So if they don't like, these people don't like these series, it's all on you. 
I know, dude. The pressure of being <laughs> on the show. I know, man. People tweeting being like, hey, we're reading this book because you guys talked about it. It's like, what if they don't like it? What do we do? I don't know. <laughs> then it's your fault. You wasted their money, Joey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they listened. That's the way it goes. Oh, you already listened. With great power <laughs> must also come great responsibility. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's why they pay us the big bucks. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, oh, really quick, I don't want to. It's not really news I care to talk about, but because uh, I don't know the character at all. But the new David F. Walker book announced, correct? Character from Squadron Supreme. Night, Nighthawk. 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 Do you tell, quickly give me a uh, give me a two oh, sentence two, two, two sentences two sentences. He is the Marvel Batman. Okay. Rich playboy who has gadgets and gizmos and hunts in the dark in the night. All right. The Squadron Supreme. And I don't know which version of Nighthawk, since mm -hmm. the, the Squadron book has about 14 different Earths represented. Mm -hmm. He, in the books where they were trying to create utopia, he was on our side, the regular human side, saying, no, just because you have all these superpowers, you can't create utopia. You can't make people do what you want. No. So, good character. It'll be fun to see what he does. Very street level. A hero. He has been. He's also been a bad guy. Okay, okay. Because so, the cover is is very gory. Yes. It looks like he just killed yeah. somebody. <laughs> he Again, this could be the very bad version okay. of, right. of Nighthawk. Yeah. But fascinating character. If you, I, I would say if you like Moon Knight, mm -hmm. you, you could have some of that. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And we're taking it to Chicago, too, I think, is where this one's set. Oh, that's cool. cool. Mm -hmm. I like when they go other places other than New York. New York? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was so cool about the... Uh, the Chris Yost, uh, Ryan Segman, Scarlet Spider stuff they did when it was Kane who took over the Scarlet Spider mantle because they moved him down to Houston. Uh, oh, which yeah, is, I remember yeah. that, yeah. When have you ever seen a comic book based in Houston before? It was like a neat thing. Um, it basically went down there because he's like, look, there's no superheroes down here. Nobody wants anybody superhero to be a superhero down here. I can go be a normal person. And of course, that, of course, that worked out for him because it's a comic book. So yeah. he just, just walked around. <laughs> he got a normal job. Everybody left him alone. Yeah. That's what happened in that book. And three issues later, it was canceled. No. Yeah. <laughs> it lasted, lasted actually a pretty long time. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. It lasted actually a pretty long Nobody time. Nobody wants to see nothing. <laughs> Scarlet Spider oil worker. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> that had a good, really, really good tagline. All of the power, none of the responsibility. It was a pretty cool. That's funny. It was a cool tagline. Um, so, uh, oh, really quick. I want to ask, Bob, did you read Thor this week? Yes. Thor number six. What did you think? I missed seeing Jane yeah, Foster. Yeah, me too. It was a, a really fun issue. It's yeah. nice seeing Odin's son back mm -hmm. and very mythological. And I think it's going to play into what moves the storyline forward. Yeah, so it's too. important to read it. If those people who left it behind because it wasn't what the other one was, you're going to regret that and have to go back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, Jason Aaron's great at writing the Thor universe, and it's 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 a really good issue. And uh, also, uh, the 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 fill-in artist whose name just I can't remember. I have to look it up because I'm not going to not say it, mm -hmm. but. Uh, filled in uh, kind of in like the, the flashback stuff. Really cool kind of like cave painty sort of yes. art style to it. Of course, I'd rather have Russell Dowderman doing it all. Um, but it, it was a, it was a neat to see like that version of Loki that was in that book and um, the sort of weird Viking Hulk yes. thing. It, it's definitely a fun story, but I definitely really did miss. I miss Jane. I miss Jane being, yeah. being the, 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 the lead character. Just because we're so embroiled in that story right now. Yeah. And I, I have missed seeing what Odin's son is up to, but I wish it was maybe it's kind of split. Yeah, this was more the Hawkeye-Kate yes, yeah, yeah, Clint yes. thing, where you, you're back and forth. 
I I want to see as much Jane as I can because I have a bad feeling about <laughs> where that's going to end up. It's, yeah. It's merchandising and it's the movies and everything else and mm-hmm. I think we'll see a return. Yeah, at some point. To the lead character. But he's not in he's not in Civil War, so we have at least another year before okay. we have to worry about uh, that. <laughs> I feel much better now. Before we have to market it. Yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. Um and I, actually weird enough, you know, they just they announced that Natalie Portman's not in Thor Ragnarok at all. No Jane Foster in Thor. Mm-hmm. But possibly Valkyrie. Very strong possibly. strong rumors of Valkyrie. So that that would be a cool thing. Um yeah, I just wanted to because I, I, I had very because it's it one of the things where I really liked the issue a lot, but I I just I always had this like conflicting like I felt like I was like I was like cheating on Jane or something. That's what I felt like <laughs> when I was reading it. <laughs> See, like I've I've bought, you know, all of Jason Aaron's Thor run, but I've only read the Jane Foster ones. Okay. I mean the the so this was is great. Shocking to me. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> It's like this is not Thor. <laughs> Get off my page. <laughs> um, that other artist is Rafa Garris. Oh uh, yes, yeah, okay, right, Rafa. yes. And it really interesting art in it too. Yeah. It, it, it's nice. It's just very conflicted. But Mara, the the past stuff, the stuff of forging is so it's also great. There's some really great stuff in in there. I know, I know. I just I'm not I'm not ready for that. I just you know I just keep going back to the you know I, I keep calling it Lady Thor even though I know I'm not supposed to I'm just call her <laughs> Thor. Um, but I've got a big poster of up in my um, office. So when my kids come in to read comics, they're always asking like, why does Thor have, have boobs? And they're like very <laughs> curious about it, but they don't know how to ask the right question. <laughs> like, well, Thor's a woman now. How? I'm like, well, it's not really, it's not Thor Thor. It's like Jane Foster Thor. That's not, what? How did it happen? I'm like, I didn't read the crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Your and then kids... you teach them about diversity and representation. Yeah, yeah. your and kids are the internet. <laughs> your kids are the internet. <laughs> well, after all this time, we still don't know what Nick Fury whispered to Thor to make him unworthy well, we of don't. holding the hammer. We don't know. We don't know. Um, one day we'll find out, Bob. When he returns, we'll never know. Yeah. No, we'll never know. We'll never know. All I know will tell us. The, inscri- the inscription on the hammer is different. It's true. It's true. It can change back. I'm if, sure they can if, fiction a reason why. If she back. be worthy, <laughs> it says right on the hammer. Um, yeah, when I was writing my little like reaction, my little mini review in the review roundup, a little plug for talkingcomicbooks.com. Plug. Um, I, I was I, I I was calling I was calling Odin's son Thor, and I was like, this is gonna be way too confusing. Yeah. I, I missed <laughs> Thor being in the book, but it was it was nice to go back to see Thor. It was a really weird <laughs> sentence yeah. to write, so I had to like. I call him Odin's son, and then go from there. So it was interesting. Um, but yeah, we had a spurred by Joey, spurred on by Joey, who wrangled all of us together. We did a uh, first. We did we're doing a, a weekly poll list, which is bringing in all uh, recommendations from you know uh, people on the site, writing little why you should read this blurbs, and then um, followed up by a review roundup that's going to have little review blurbs for, for for the books that we recommended. Um, and I think the first week was a pretty was, went pretty well. What do you think, Joey? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, we're still trying to get the timetable down and yeah. trying to, you know, like you said, wrangle um, the contributors all together. Um, but I think one of the great things about it is we have some really great people working on the site on a weekly basis. And to hear the diversity of voices on both the pull list to get their recommendations and then to get the feedback on the review roundup on the weekend 
I think is great. And it's great for the readers too, to kind of see not only what we're reading, but see all the stuff that's out there. You know, it wasn't just DC and Marvel books. There was stuff from Aftershock and IDW. And, and like you said, for this week, there's something from Black Mass Studios on that mm-hmm. pull list. Like, that's awesome. And, and you don't normally see that, um, which is great to see. So, you know, if you're listening and you're wondering what we read and what you might want to pick up, check that out. And if you want to wait and see what, what we thought of it before going to buy it on the weekend, wait for the post on Saturday morning to see, you know, a brief little review. Um, one thing that we're going to try and do more of too is length reviews too, and, and link those to that review roundup. We already have a couple written for this week. Um, Bobby, you wrote a couple too, because I know you're passionate about the book. So yeah. <laughs> we'll try and link those back and, and start bringing that content back too. But you know, big things comment for, for TC talking comics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know. What are you, what are you excited about this week, Joey? That's coming out. Um, it's funny because like everyone was like posting Marvel and DC stuff and then kind of image stuff and I was like, what's IDW doing this week? And IDW has two, uh, I guess their two licenses books coming out this week. X Files, they're doing a new X Files run, X Files number one. Uh, and I just uh, took a look at the first couple of pages. It looks really, really cool. And I think if I read the solicit correctly, the stories for this new run are set during the season that just aired during Fox. So it's kind of in that um, canon, if you will. Um, so the characters are that age and they're dealing with, with what's going on there, which is really cool. And I look forward to reading the first issue. And also Cullen Bunn um, is working on Micronauts, number one <laughs> this week, which is the the toy line from the eighties. And there's a cartoon too. Um, I was looking at the first couple of pages it looks ridiculous. And at the end of the book, um, there's like a letter from the editor who is like, when I pitched the Micronauts book to some writers and artists uh, a few years ago, every single one said, talk to Colin Bunn. Uh, <laughs> so he did, and, and, and Colin Bunn obviously is now writing the book. So I'll be reading that this week too. Micronauts number one and X-Files. That's pretty cool. Mara, what about you? What are you excited for? Uh, Spider-Woman number six, which is our next spider women crossover so i'm pretty excited about that um i was just looking at my list that i had in my in my planner <laughs> and uh this is going to be kind of lame but there's a manga version of king richard the third and henry the eighth i think it's henry the eighth um called requiem of the rose king but um richard is gender bent or transgender we're not really sure yet like what's going on but gender ambiguous it's just like this weird love story going on it's i don't know i love manga it's just so crazy world um and also star wars of course yeah more star wars well of course where are we at in star warsville now mara so dr afra has been captured by the rebels and was held in this prison that's on um, like facing this giant sun and it was just very dangerous and, and terrible. And uh, Sana Solo, who is not really married to Han Solo <laughs> and Princess Leia have teamed up with Dr. Afra. So we have like a three woman team and they're working to get all these prisoners back into the prison. But Darth Vader is still like, I need Dr. Afra because she has like all his secrets and, and things like that. And um, gosh, I forgot his name, but he is like, Basically, kind of like a an official within the um, the empire who kind of goes into uh, ethical queries. Like, if there's something going on, he he shows up and he does investigations. And he's like, Vader, I'm on to you. Like, I know what you've done and what you're in the process of doing. So, just turmoil 
in general. Just Star Wars war. Cool, cool. Bob, what about you? What do you say? I'm not for? following that. Yeah, no, I, you can't I, follow that. I can't follow. You don't that. have a Darth Vader impression ready no, to go. No, I don't have that. That was awesome, Mara. That was that was just incredible. <laughs> Like, be real. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> no, that was great. The passion, the, yeah, the but love of that. Mari, it was terrible in the best way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was terrible in only the way that somebody really who's really into it and really loves it could possibly do it. So it, it was a good one. Uh, Bob, what about you? What are you excited about? Give me, a, give me a book that you're pumped about this week. There's an interesting Doctor Strange anthology. Yes, The Last Days of Magic. With all sorts of folks, including Jason Aaron, James yeah. Robinson. Got to make sure I spend $10 on Doctor Strange in yeah. one week. <laughs> yeah, that one. And Marguerite Bennett's Insects <laughs> comes out this week. Number oh, Insects. Five. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. I'm really pumped about Injection. Uh, Warren Ellis, Declan Shelby. Love that series. We're getting near the end of the, the second arc at this point, so... That's a book people should be reading for sure. Um, and I talked about the other two books I'm very excited about that they're coming out this week. Um, I'll say it again. Obviously, one of them you'll, people know about, but Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, people should, people should read it. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's great. And um, yeah, and I'm excited about the Black Magic trade mm-hmm. as well. I'll put that on my shelf. Yes. Put that on my shelf. Sad, but excited. Yeah, because it's only it's gonna be a year before we get another yeah. issue of it. Um good thing we nominated when we did for, yes, <laughs> for our Talking right. Awards. <laughs> uh, we got it in under the wire. Um so yeah, so we talked about the review roundup and, and the poll list. Um we also have obviously full full length reviews, um, and we have, you know, video game content, we have movie content, all this stuff going up over at TC, talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh check out that stuff there. Comment uh, uh, on the articles. Interact with, with, with the writers there. Um, leave your you know picks for your poll list and everything on, on the poll list article. Leave your reactions to the books uh, uh, on the review roundup. Um, if you wanna if you wanna talk about other topics that we don't talk about on the site, head over to our forums. Of course, um, they're a very dedicated group of people who, who keep keep the forums going and, and who are great um, over there. Um, if you go in touch with us on Twitter, it's at Talking Comics. Facebook.com slash Talking Comics is the Facebook uh, address. And, of course, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address. Um, we're going to try to do a little listener thing every week. So that we did a little one this week. We'll plan to do another one next week. Um, and, uh, yeah, we still, we still have another week of pure comics next week. And then after that, we've got, we're going to be reviewing Captain America Civil War. So mm. stuff stuff will be happening uh, f- for that. Um, if you're going to touch with us personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Joey. At Joey Regino. Uh, Mara. At Mega Mara Mon. Bob. <laughs> Bob Breyer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we got some got some good comic talk on the horizon. Got some movie talk. It's going to be a fun time. This is a, a fun show to do. Um, please let us know your reactions to what we talked about today. Um, and if you have any sort of uh, listener feedback you want us to read, uh, leave it on Twitter at Talking Comics, hashtag TC Pod Mail. So we make sure it doesn't get lost in all the favorites and all the follow, all that stuff, because it's very easy for stuff to get lost uh, on Twitter. But until then, that's going to do it for Talking Comics for this week. For Bob. Adios. Joey. Adios. Mara. Bye. I have been Bobby. (laughs) Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued.